Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Marcus Cron. We interview experts so you can understand all aspects of real estate investing. Whether you're a passive investor or an experienced syndicator, this podcast can guide you on your journey of building wealth through real estate. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Hey guys, Marcus Cron here. Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I'm joined by Hunter Thompson, who's an expert in raising capital for commercial real estate. Today we'll dive deep into his uh, strategies. He's been able to raise $5 million in 30 days, uh, one of his most recent capital raises. So you won't want to miss out on this episode. So Hunter, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks again. Much appreciated. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's really exciting to have you on the show as we were kind of doing our, uh, before we hit record here, I was kind of sharing about how I've I've learned a lot from your your content you put out from your, your podcast, your fantastic book, which obviously I'll let you kind of share more about on uh, in this interview on raising capital for real estate, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of an intro here. Um, and it's fantastic to have you on the show. So Hunter, he is the founder of ASIM Capital, a real estate private equity firm. He's raised more than $35 million in private capital, has over 10 years of real estate experience in various asset classes, such as multifamily and self-storage. So uh, before we kind of get too deep into it here, Hunter, do you kind of want to share your background, how you got into this real estate syndication and raising equity for these types of deals? And and uh, actually, I'm going to kind of steer you towards actually sharing that story as well. Um, I know you talk about it in your book about your first capital raise. So kind of start off with your journey and then kind of how you kind of learned about raising equity the right way by that first uh, uh, capital raise that didn't go the way that you wanted it to. Right. So, you know, I got my start in this industry as a passive investor you know, I have a background as an entrepreneur and I wanted to help take my money out of the stock market, but also help my closest and closest friends and immediate family. And I was introduced to the world of syndications very early on in my career because I was associated with some very proficient and sophisticated investors very quickly. And here's how the market acted as a massive filter for bad ideas. I entered the real estate sector in 2010. So especially moving to California where the market was absolutely decimated, the people that I was surrounded by ended up being very proficient, very well-known investors that were pursuing very institutional quality and sophisticated structures as opposed to, let's say, fix and flipping or single family buy and hold type of strategies. So the first investments I made were in 100 unit plus multifamily apartments you know, 400 unit plus cell storage facilities, et cetera, through the syndicated model. Now, fast forward to 2020, that term syndication has become very popular, but it wasn't the case back then. I mean, this is before the Jobs Act really opened up the world of securities online. You could actually publicly solicit investors online. Back in 2010, you had to have a personal relationship with someone that could actually tell you about a specific deal or you couldn't really find out about the deal, or they're breaking the law. So I tapped into that network very early on and made a few investments and started to develop a track record, but more than anything realized this structure, this passive investment structure is perfect for my whole worldview. I'm able to defer to someone else's expertise in their particular niche, which allows them to have market advantage, but I don't want to be overexposed to one particular strategy, asset class, geographic location, et cetera. And the reason I said it ties into my worldview is that I'm a huge proponent of the division of labor. 
I want to focus on one specific thing so that I can be best in class or have the potential to be best in class at that one particular thing. But focusing on one thing lends itself to overallocation from a financial planning standpoint. So the passive approach to investing allows me to have sell storage, mobile home parks, multifamily, recently ATMs, which I'm real excited about, without being a jack of all trades and not really have any kind of market advantage because I'm deferring to those who are experts in that particular niche. And the way that I transitioned this passive approach to investing to a career in capital raising is with the same mentality. I did not want to be the person implementing the property level business plan. I wanted to be connecting with investors, leveraging my extremely robust due diligence process with other investors' capital and the relationships I had built up, the systems, the processes, the softwares that we leverage just for our own capital, kind of acting as a small family office and then growing from one investor, just me, to five, to 10, to 100, to hundreds and like you mentioned, raised about $35 million worth of investor capital. And so, you know, going back to that first story, I thought that the fact that I had developed a track record with my own relationships with absolutely top tier operators and a track record in terms of the returns that I've been able to generate was going to help me through. I thought if I said, look at how quality these operators are, look at how good of a job they're doing that any smart person was going to say, okay, great. That sounds like a good deal. Logically, here's my 50 or a hundred thousand dollars. And so the story you're referring to is that I presented in a room with $30 million of net worth cumulatively and did this whole presentation that I thought was a great presentation, one that I would have done today. And at the end of the presentation, uh, not one person invested anything. No one invested $1. And this was a huge wake-up call. Basically, I was trying to chase investors around, convince them to invest in these weird niche real estate investments, and it didn't work. And it took about six months to figure out what I did wrong, and and I spent the last decade trying to correct it and uh, now have a system that actually works consistently where we can send out an email and raise $5, $10, 15000000 million. Right. And I mean, you obviously, like you said, you had a, a failure in your mind of like going into that room, trying to raise the capital and there was no response. So how do you kind of fight through that and realize, hey, I'm still in the right business. The syndication model into multifamily or, or syndicated real estate, commercial real estate is the right place to be. And even kind of tie that in with the, the element that, hey, your friends probably thought your family probably thought you're crazy as well when you're going out and everybody's kind of fleeing away from real estate in the wake of the 08 recession when it's like, hey, you're going to do what? You're going to jump into this asset class that's kind of like been, you know, it's just been destructed. You know, it's everybody's kind of like, what's going on with this market? But you're in it. You're you're pursuing that. How did you kind of fight through that and kind of deal with all these obstacles that were kind of in your in your way? So there's so many things that we could do a whole podcast on that particular topic because it's so critical. You know, as entrepreneurs, we by our very nature are willing to go left when people are looking right. Um, that alone is something that can be leveraged as a strength, but that's not necessarily a strength. Just simply going left when people are looking right. There could be a reason <laughs> that people are not uh, going the other direction. Um, however, as entrepreneurs, 
what can be lucrative is being able to effectively measure tailwinds and headwinds and then have the confidence to act on your estimate. So when I made that presentation, it was in the mobile home park business. And at the time, mobile home parks were trading at 10 caps. So you could buy assets in cash, which we were not doing, by the way, but you could, and it would produce a 10% return without really implementing much of a business plan. And so with leverage, you know, talking about 13% or so year one cash flow. Now that sounds ridiculous now, but that was the market rate back then. And I looked at the fact that there was an incredible supply demand disequilibrium when it came to affordable housing in the United States. The fact that you can't develop new mobile home parks in the United States. The fact that each year there are thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of baby boomers hitting the age of retirement with almost no savings on average. And the average social security check is less than the average two-bedroom apartment. I just saw an amazing tailwind and headwind combination uh, to that industry. So there's that, but then compound that with the fact that I felt like there was going to be a massive tsunami of interest into the world of passive investments because I, to some degree, had to uncover it myself. And we don't grow up as passive investors. We have to uncover it. Everyone listening to this podcast right now had a moment when they realized that working a typical nine to five, only investing in the stock market was not financially sound and prudent investors don't do that. So I realized this and said, okay, the regulatory hurdle is challenging, but other than that, a lot of people are going to be interested in this passive approach to investing. And then when the Jobs Act happened, it was like the unveiling of that tsunami that I had kind of anticipated. So I had the confidence to be wrong. You're absolutely correct in saying that my family thought I was uh, off my rocker, so to speak, because if you look at the chart now, going back to 2010, most people see that chart and go, how lucky were you to invest in 2010? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. But if you remove the second half of that chart, you start where you can only see 2010. It was a death spiral of foreclosures but to me, that was the ultimate blood is in the street. This is a great opportunity. So I had the confidence to do that. Some of it is inherent. Some of it is learned. But you've got to be able to measure tailwinds and headwinds and then also stand up for what you believe in, um, even if the market is not quite ready yet, which is what you got to do as entrepreneurs. You have to lead the market to some degree. Yeah, and I really feel that. You mean you encapsulated that or explained it just so perfectly. I mean, and you really have become a leader in the market. I mean, you had to, as you explained, go uncover these facts and these truths about capital raising, make the mistakes on your own and really kind of pave the way because now you're looking at it. There's kind of this boom in the world of syndication of commercial real estate and everybody's trying to learn about it. It's kind of becoming this hot topic, right? And you've kind of then paved the way of, of like making those mistakes and now educating and giving back to really give away your secrets. And I kind of asked you beforehand when, uh, before we started recording, like, how do you feel about giving away all your secrets that you've kind of learned over the last decade, right? Your blood, sweat and tears going into it. But I mean, through that, you now give back, you know, from your book, your podcast, and really have become an educator, a thought leader, an influencer in this space. Um, can you talk about those, those lessons you learned and how you applied them to come up with these different capital raise, um, basically stages. And I'll let you kind of explain them in more detail, but from what I know, they're attract, educate, nurture, and close. Can you kind of break down what those specific stages mean um, within the capital raising space? Sure. So 
I'll go back to the comments you made about giving away the secrets and unveiling this. And again, looking at the tailwinds and headwinds, I think we start to feel like we're living in this bubble of syndications because we've seen a lot of podcasts pop up. We've seen a lot of people that we wouldn't have thought of would be investing in real estate now are. And we can get a sense that in this echo chamber, we're in some sort of syndication bubble. Well, the reality is far different than that. I mean, if you look at just the negative interest rate bond market, which is somewhere between 12 and $17 trillion, that's the actual state of the macroeconomic picture in this world. There is not a glut of incredible 122-unit B-class Texas apartments. There's a glut of capital looking for yield. And now a lot of that capital is recently created due to central banking cartel action, but that capital is in play. And so if you're at one of the largest bond managers in the world and you're at a meeting and you've got eight people in the room and one of them raises their hand and says, I've got an excellent way to allocate a billion dollars. We're only going to lose 1% a year. It's a Japanese bond. There's going to be people that start clapping because of how incredibly smart you are for being able to allocate that billion. Now, as small investors, and I consider all of us implementing a family office type of strategy, we can be much more prudent and selective with our, our capital placement so we can focus on niche real estate deals. So then it's a matter of getting access to these great deals. And so what I built my business around and, and what you talked about, and the reason I failed originally is because I didn't have this structure. I was going around chasing people around, trying to convince them to invest with me when I should have been doing the opposite. You know, six months after I failed, I realized what I had done and, and why it didn't work. And then I bet spent the last decade uh, building this business to attract investors. And this is attracting them through doing podcast interviews, doing webinars, uh, creating an ebook, doing things like that, or any kind of high quality content that's going to instantly create credibility and requiring them to give me their email address in exchange for that quality piece of content. So in the book, I talk about how to write an ebook and how to create the ebook that will last quite some time. But you can do this on a podcast interview as well. Let's say right now, I'll give you the transcripts if you go to our website and uh, give me your email address. Now, I don't have that for this particular interview, but you could do that as a podcast host. And any kind of premium content will get that. So once you've done that, you've attracted them, you've converted those potential investors to leads through exchanging that value for their email. Now it's time to educate them. So great, you like that ebook? Here's another one. Here's another list of greatest hits. Here's 10 of my best interviews that I've ever done on various topics, everything related to past investing, to raising capital, to the economy. And now we're starting to be in this educate stage, right? So once you've done that, the level of credibility is through the roof and you've been able to develop a personal relationship with the potential lead without requiring your time on a one-on-one -on -one basis. This is so critical because we have thousands of potential investors in our group and hundreds of thousands that have heard me speak on podcasts. So the goal is to go from that 100,000 to get them into this lead nurture campaign, which starts with education and then in nurture with things like supplemental content, weekly, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, some kind of way of touching them with different senses. I'll give you a couple examples. We have a online conference that's coming up specifically for capital raisers. And it was inspired by a recent raise. It's called the 5 million in 30 days summit. You can learn more about that at 5 million in 30 days.com. It's a free virtual summit. 
And there are some incredible, incredible speakers there that are the best in the business, unquestionably. Uh, Neil Bawa, Kathy Fetke, Richard Wilson is going to talk about how to get billionaire clients. Um, this is just one example of a way that I have nurtured a lead. So I'm creating the summit. It's a free summit. We'll probably lose money and time doing it, but it's a great way to nurture that lead so that by the time we send out a deal or launch a mastermind, for example, they're going to be eager to take the next step. And so, you know, the, the close process is not what most people think, which is kind of, okay, you said you had a problem. I gave you a solution. Isn't that going to help you? Blank, blank, blank. You know, insert close strategies, always be closing this type of thing. I don't spend my time doing that. I spend my time focusing on the top of the funnel so that by the time we send out a deal, our investors are eager and willing. And, you know, we sent out a deal recently where we got a $612,000 wire and the individual did not require even a phone call of me. Now, this guy's not an idiot. He knows more about me and this investment than some of my best friends because he spent so much time devouring the content that we've made and put in a, a replicatable and a scalable and a reusable manner so that by the time we get on a phone call, if needed, I'm treated with respect in terms of the time that I've taken out of my day because they know that I have spent so much time focusing on the scalable stuff that if I'm going to go one-on-one -on -one with you, it better be something really important. And so it just helps the business run so much more smoothly and it's far more scalable that way as well. Right. And I mean, for some people that kind of think about that approach, I mean, obviously it's a a shift in mindset where you kind of alluded to that always be closing typical sales strategy. And I mean, the capital raising space really requires a mindset shift where it's not necessarily, Hey, I'm going to sell you on this deal and, and try to, you know, convince you that this is the, this is for you and, and drag the money out of your pocket into the deal. It's more or less like, Hey, you are the prize Hunter. You have the prize by having this fantastic quality deal flow and you're going to present it to me. Now, you have the opportunity, you want these investors to be chasing you. Now, you talk about that strategy of, of nurturing and educating. For some people, that might be like a big mindset shift first, but once they get past that hurdle, how do they go about doing that? Like creating, I mean, you're all about scalable systems. I've heard you talk about how to go doing that, you know, from writing content and time batching. Can you kind of like explain how somebody with like no prior experience creating content can kind of go do this in a scalable manner and really kind of utilize time batching to, to create that reusable content. Sure. So I'll say this, you know, I can give you all the strategies in the world and I'm happy to do so, but the underlying strategy, the ultimate productivity hack of all of this is identifying specific people who are operating in this industry in precisely the manner in which you want to operate and then taking their success and reverse engineering it for your own. So I would be happy to talk about time batching and, and writing articles and all these things. But before I even do that, you need to have a high degree of buy-in that the things I'm going to give you are going to give you a result that you actually want, right? So I may not be your guy that you want to mimic, um, but if you want to be a capital raiser, if you want to leverage your relationship with other operating partners, if you want to build a brand that allows you to grow a scalable business without a big team, which is critical for me, by the way then maybe I am your guy, right? So the reason I say that is that you've done a lot of interviews with a lot of different experts. People have different wants and needs. But as far as doing this quickly, which I'm a huge fan of, um, 
I am not able to accomplish much unless it's done in increments of 60 to 180 minutes. I don't do well in short bursts uh, because the thing that actually helped me move the needle in my business are cognitively demanding tasks. That's the reason that I'm the CEO of the company um, as opposed to any other other people in the company. Um, the things that I do, only I can do, right? That's the, my unique ability that I'm bringing to the company. So the things that I can do that other people can't do are not answering emails. You know, I, that's not the first thing I do every day. What I do every day is focus on the number one thing that's going to help my business get to the next level. And I do this usually, I should say not 60 minutes is quite short um, for me. I would say 90 to 180 minutes. And so if your goal right now is to build a platform and write a bunch of articles and you think that's the number one thing you need to focus on, which is a very good idea if you haven't already done this process, I would spend 90 to 180 minutes writing down 100 potential topics of articles that you could write. And the reason for this is that speed is just the killer. Speed can overcome so many weaknesses. And so procrastination is the opposite of success. So what I want to do is give myself all these tools where I can not procrastinate. So one of the things that people struggle with when it comes to writing is they think that all of these potential articles, they have to be great. But when you know you're going to write 100, you're knowing that half of them are going to be terrible. But that's fine. As long as the speed is high, as long as you're going fast, as long as you're just writing down, okay, what's the difference between interest rates and housing prices? How do they actually work? Is self-storage a great uh, passive investment? Is self-storage actually recession resistant? Multifamily versus apartments. Those are like four right there. So all you got to do is come up with 96 more. Just stream of consciousness coming up with those ideas and then put them all in Excel, rank them on a scale of one to five, sort by five or sort by the numeric number, put all the fives at the top being the most important and write the top 10. That's it. So you've sorted them. You see the top 10, the all the fives that you've done. And then I would block the next 90 to 180 minutes to start writing and just write until the 10 are done. Now, the reason that this is so powerful is that Number one, not enough people know what the real thing that's going to help them move the needle in their business actually is. So it doesn't matter how much time they block out, they're wasting their time. You know, so many people get to their emails first thing in the morning and are in a state of permanent reaction as opposed to being proactive and really developing some scalable systems that'll help them over the long run. So back up just a moment before, like, like I said, that first segment of 90 to 180 minutes, it may not be to write articles. It may be to sit and contemplate and figure out who is going to be the person that I mimic. And that alone is quite powerful because then you have a playbook. Then you can model their moves for your own. And if the people that you're modeling are writing a bunch of articles, maybe it's time to do that. Yeah, and I think it really comes down to like kind of knowing where your strengths are are and what kind of, like you said, what strategy or what person you're going to mimic. Because I mean, I, if somebody looks at you and, and says, Hunter, well, I want to copy him because, well, he looks like he's writing great articles and, and that's his thought leadership platform to educate and nurture. Because I think it's important to really follow that model because you want to go down that road of not having to, to cold call for dollar, dial for dollars, trying to get people to invest in your deal. You want to shift your mindset to, to follow that framework, but really define how you're going to utilize that framework that's going to work best for you. Because, I mean, if I said, hey, I'm going to go and, and try to write articles, but I'm a terrible writer and I hate it, 
you're going to get very frustrated with the process and give up along the way and not really get those scalable results that you're looking for. So I think that's a very good point that you highlighted there. Now, I want to go back to, um, you know, just even your your name of your company, ASIM Capital. Like, I think it's got some great, um, like, why you you named it that way is it's such a great example of why you're in commercial real estate, why you're investing in these types of asset classes, and also how you're actually running your capital raising business. Can you kind of explain what is ASIM Capital? What does it mean? How did you come up with that? And uh, kind of because I think it has some great uh, applications for learning for for my listeners. Sure. So when it comes to building a brand, generally speaking, it's really important that you have a good idea of your ideal client before you do much of anything. So our ideal client is very different than other firms. You know, I'll give you an example. Bigger Pockets has an incredible company. I mean, they've built something that's just so impressive. And the key principles that are involved, you know, how can you not respect what they've accomplished? But it's very, very different than the following that we have and the content that we put out. You know, we do not do things that are focused on beginner or even intermediate strategies. We attract investors who are not making their first investment. We attract investors who are already well aware of passive investing. They're probably investing with multiple operators. They're probably very familiar with the vernacular and even some of the regulations and are familiar with going through the investor verification process and funding hundreds of thousands of dollars to people they've only met over the internet. Now, you can probably see why there's so many advantages that we've done that, but there's some disadvantages, right? I mean, I work quite hard on a podcast, which is not a top five investing podcast, um, and it likely will never be. And it's because we don't care about catering to beginners. And most people are beginners because most people uh, start and then don't move on. (laughs) So uh, just kind of going back to that, the name of the company is ASIM Capital, and it's short for asymmetric. Um, But that vernacular, asymmetric returns, is something that a lot of our investors will be familiar with. Now, they may not understand it originally. It's short for ASIM or short for asymmetric, but that resonates with our ideal clients. And you'll find that the podcast interviews we do are also aligned with that familiarity with um, asymmetric type of returns and the people that would be interested in that topic. We do a lot of very dense interviews about economics where we're talking about interest rates and housing prices and the impacts of all these things and also things like um, the details of operations or underwriting on a very, very specific basis where beginner investors would not be familiar enough with the content to get much out of it. And so we're going to lose some of that. Now, I'm not saying that you should do what we've done at ASIM, but what I am saying for sure is that you should pick a niche, understand who your ideal client is, and uh, reverse engineer what they would want. What's going to help them get to the next two months, the next six months in where they're trying to go professionally or personally, depending on what your line of business is. And I'll I'll also give you some other insight. Um, We're about to launch a mastermind, which is specifically for capital raisers. And the name of the summit that I'm doing is the 5 million 30 day summit. So who's going to be interested in going to that summit? It's not going to be someone who's trying to raise their first half million. It could, but that's not their goal. Their goal is to raise 5 million, which is consequential. If you can buy a $15 million piece of property, 
you're buying like a multifamily or a very large self-storage deal, commercial real estate type of deal. So we're trying to attract those types of clients because the mastermind is for commercial syndicators who are raising $1 million, $5 million, $10 million, $20 million. And I actually do have an ideal client. I, Unlike uh, most people that they suggest to come up with some fictitious person, there is one person that I literally built this whole mastermind for because he is my ideal client. Don't want to say his name because that'd be weird because he doesn't know this yet. But I'm very confident he's going to join the mastermind because all the marketing is specifically focused on someone in his exact position, which, by the way, was my position five years ago. You know, so I'm writing to myself, I'm writing to my ideal client, but being so focused on that, that when they read these emails, they're going to go, holy crap, this is me. I have to join. That um, is really powerful. Same thing with the investor side of the business. You know, I had a terrible experience investing in the stock market and don't want to relive that. And that's not uncommon. So I speak about that a lot and it resonates with our investors as well. Yeah, and I love that concept of just saying like asymmetric returns, um, looking for risk. What's going to be the best risk-adjusted return for this type of investor? Or even like when you talk about doing this type of thought leadership content and educating and nurturing investors through the capital raising strategies that you use, what's going to be the best risk-adjusted use of your time? And I've kind of heard you talk about it um, where you're basically saying, well, it's going to be a very low risk-adjusted, you know, basis for you going to invest $30 into a podcast mic and then going to start the process. I mean, all you're really doing is investing your time into that. And the outcome is, you know, very, is very large for the type of input that you're risking. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I love the way that you kind of have built your company around those concepts and really have, have developed your strategies and how you go, go about doing that. And even, and how you're kind of talking now about, Hey, you're not looking to be everything to everyone. I mean, that's the best way to fail in any business or any type of marketing strategy, because I mean, going to the example of, you said you have Richard Wilson coming to your, your event to kind of talk. I mean, he knows his investor avatar, right? Like the sophisticated family office investor that's managing a billion dollars of, of capital is going to look very different from somebody that's going to make a $10,000 investment in their first passive investment or something like that. I mean, it's a very different audience. So if you go and define that, and I love how you explain how you go and say, hey, I actually built this program for this person in mind. You really have to have that much focus on who you're marketing to. And you're actually looking at that avatar, that person and saying, hey, what would this person like? Like that's such phenomenal advice to kind of think with that level of detail into your marketing strategy. So kind of like, you know, to, to kind of cap it off on this event, who is it for? What what are they going to get out of it? What are the details? What are what are all the details that everybody needs to know if they want to attend? And kind of like basically define like, hey, put my hand up. This is for me. If you can kind of explain it in a in a short form here. Sure. So it's a good segue from that conversation about being super niche, because being super niche allows you to be very curated, and curated allows you to add tremendous value. And so what this means is that. When we do podcasts and I host a podcast as well, you know, I want to hear about their story, their background, what they felt compelling about real estate. Should they be at passive versus active? These are things that there's a broader population which are interested in. But with the summit, it's only for people that are interested in raising $5 million over 30 days. And so what I've done is I've taken 
all these thought leaders across multiple different strategies and ask them the question, what is one strategy? Not all the things they need to talk about real estate or how they like to develop their website or anything like that. What is one strategy that you implement to ensure that you can raise $5 million in 30 days? And so because of that, I didn't really know this. I didn't understand how heavy and important this was going into the concept. But now that we've recorded the interviews, the fact that it's just one strategy lends itself for a level of depth, which is just not readily available. So like as an example, Richard Wilson, he built his business based on uh, creating databases and using databases of family offices to attract centimillionaire and billionaire clients. So as an example, how do you get their LinkedIn information? How do you use that LinkedIn information to send messages that actually convert to get their email addresses to send out the first email with the actual deck seg Like these are really important detail-oriented questions that aren't going to be asked if all he's talking about is multiple different strategies. So we have a 30-minute interview with him where he gives away all the details of that particular niche. Then we have a 30-minute interview of someone like Kathy Fetke where all she talks about is how to attract ultra high buy-in clients by being vulnerable and authentic. So there's 24 of these interviews and each one is a different strategy that can easily raise $5 million. And so it's just a huge no brainer. Now, if you're interested in asset management, if you're interested in how to talk to lenders, this is not the summit for you. You shouldn't waste your time, even though it's free, you shouldn't waste your, your money or time. But if you want to know about capital raising, this is the only thing that I've seen like it. I'm very proud of it. Now, what I just did, though, is a segmentation. I'm saying this is not for you if X. That's very powerful because there are asset management summits out there, and that would be where you should go. But I'm not losing anything if I tell people that because I don't care if people who want to learn only asset management come to the summit because I actually want to help them. I don't want to waste their time. So hopefully that's good from a you know, marketing standpoint for a segmentation standpoint as well. And again, you can learn about the summit at 5billion30days.com. The five and the 30 are actually the numbers. Perfect. Yeah. And that's a great explanation there. Actually, last kind of point I want to draw upon here is, is really just kind of your input, especially because you've been through the last decade of seeing this bull run in the market where real estate has just gone up and up and up. And everybody's kind of been like, okay, when is it going to turn? Because real estate operates in cycles, especially now that we're having this black swan event and with the, the pandemic, what, what are you kind of feeling the direction of the market will be? I mean, given that you're such a, a, a proponent of kind of studying macroeconomic trends, really understanding those types of topics, where do you see any parallels between what the market might do between 08 and now? Could you kind of give a high level oversight on, on what you kind of think Will, will kind of come up in the coming years here. So if you follow the, my thought process regarding economics, you know, generally speaking, it's hard not to be very bearish because of the amount of government regulation, the government intervention, the overall economy. You know, if you're paying 50 or more percent of your income to taxes, those dollars are not being used to run efficient businesses and help clients solve problems. They're being used, you know, there, there's a third party that's absorbing all this capital that should be used otherwise. And the third party is the government, as opposed to giving capital directly to customers and solving problems efficiently. Um, and the bigger the government grows in size, the bigger and the less efficient, the bigger the problem, the less efficient this is. And it all comes to a head in the world of central banks. You know, if you have 
a central bank which is going to keep interest rates perpetually low, then that cycles through all the way. It permeates through the entire economy based on Mises' discussion regarding uh, malinvestment. You're incentivizing everyone to move one rung up in risk. You can't keep your money in a bank account, which was common previously because you could get a reasonable interest rate. So you move one up in risk, one uh, rung up in risk. Now, if you're investing in real estate, maybe you move one rung up in risk to venture capital. So I, I really dislike that. But all of that being said, as much as I may hate the way the system is created and the implications, I want to play effectively. And I'm here to create multi-generational wealth for my family and help my clients do the same thing. So in the world of central banks, I see a perpetually low interest rate, low cap rate environment, which can be extremely advantageous for real estate investors, especially if you're investing in recession-resistant assets. Because if you can add $100,000 of NOI to a 10 cap, it's very, very different than adding $100,000 of NOI to a 5 cap. And so I don't see a snapback to 2008 levels because there's a glut of capital looking for yield. So I will intelligently participate, but if the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, there's one side of that argument that I'm just simply not going to be on. And they argue against all the reasons why it's happening, but I'm certainly not going to lose in that game. So that's a very short version, but um, recession-resistant real estate is here to stay. And you look at the global economic picture. Um, it's only going to head one direction over the long term. Yeah, and, and that's part of the reason why you know guys like us look at these types of asset classes. It's not just a reason why, hey, we're just going to throw money at this because it looks good and it's performing in a bull market. It's it's looking, going back to that whole asymmetric risk return adjusted um, risk basis that you're investing in something that, hey, when things are going up, you're going to have fantastic returns in a bull market. And even in when things look a little bit bearish and, and the market might not be performing as well, you're still going to get a strong risk adjusted return. So it's it's a perfect explanation of having that recession resilient or recession resistant type asset classes, because we look for this to, to deploy capital into the right spaces. Um, so you can always kind of count on that type of return through, you know, like obviously retail and, and, and different levels of, of commercial real estate are going to be affected differently. Right. But I mean, if you're looking for those steady stream, like people are still going to pay their bills and need a roof over their head. That's where you get that storage or sorry, the uh, mobile home parks, you get the multifamily and even storage, which is has that strong element of being recession resistant as well. So yeah, perfect explanation there. So uh, last thing here is I'm going to wrap up this conversation, take it into our final four questions where you give short to the point answers. So what is your favorite real estate or business book? Well, I'm not going to give myself a shout out because that would be odd. Um, but I'll I'll say that the book that inspired me to write the book in the manner in which it was written is Double Double by Cameron Harold. So Cameron Harold is a business coach, and from my perspective, he took a twenty five thousand dollar coaching program and put it into a book about how to double the size of your business in three years. And the content uh, helped me for sure, but the structure and the cadence is something that I modeled when I wrote my book, Raising Capital for Real Estate. And Double Double, similarly to the podcast, Double Double is not written to be a New York Times bestseller, although it might have. I mean, he had quite a bit of success with it. It was designed to change people's lives who are going to actually implement it. And that's why I wrote Raising Capital for Real Estate the way that I did. I said, here are the tools 
if you implement this, you're going to have success because I want to help people get money out of the stock market and influence people in a positive manner. So Double Double by Karen Her- Cameron Harold is um, you know, a very influential book in my life. And if anyone that hasn't read it is hearing this for the first time, check it out. It's a good way to spend eight bucks, right? Yeah. And, and like you said, I mean, if somebody like that is going in and, and making a book that he's basically saying, this is the equivalent of a $25,000 coaching program. I mean, that $8 on a risk-adjusted basis is a very good investment for you as a somebody looking to learn on how to implement systems. And 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 although you haven't done it, you're not you said you're not going to go and give yourself a shout out because that is kind of self-serving. I'll do it. I mean, r- raising capital for real estate for anyone that hasn't heard of it or checked it out, like it's a fantastic book. I'm a big advocate of it. Learned a lot of principles from it. And uh, just like Hunter said, it's basically just that where it's not like, hey, here's an interesting story, and I'm gonna be entertained on on what real estate is all about. No, it is literally like, hey, here's A to Z, each step that you need to take, follow this blueprint. I've laid out a blueprint for you in very logical format. Follow this and let the success follow. You know what I mean? Like that is a perfect example of how this book is structured and, and it's fantastically laid out and very well formulated with the thoughts. So definitely recommend to check that out. So next thing here is what is one thing you wish you knew when you got started in real estate investing? Um, gosh, I didn't understand that you shouldn't be innovating in this industry ever. You know, I, this is how I started the conversation is I didn't really have anyone to model after because the industry wasn't mature enough, at least not in my network. Like I mentioned, I was with some very savvy individuals, but we didn't know how we were going to respond to the jobs act. For example, in fact, I knew the most successful crowdfunding platforms in the world and their CEOs were discussing how 506C wasn't going to really change the business. I think that's incorrect. You know, we've only done 506Cs now for several years and probably will only do that going forward as well. So um, who, not how? That's the key. Um, If you can find people who are doing something very close to what you want to do, and then either reach out to them and get them to give you the information for free, or usually what's faster is to pay them for their knowledge. Those are instant hacks. I mean, that's okay. I know this interview has gone a little bit long, but I will say this 2010, the wake of the great recession, there were so many people that were burned paying for high priced coaching programs being taught by fix and flippers who had never fixed and flipped a house. So what really stunted my growth is I had this huge aversion to paying for knowledge because of that. But dude, if I had known that if someone actually has accomplished great things, that they can actually give me the playbook and they can be there on a one-on-one basis or whatever, I would have gladly paid $20,000, $50,000, $100 to hack it and save myself seven years. But I was super, super cautious about that because I saw a lot of people get burned doing that. And I did myself. So yeah, don't do this with just a random person. Don't um, pay for anyone's program unless you devoured their free content and know that they're operating in the industry very close to how you want to operate. But if you found that person, don't hesitate to do so. Yeah. Cause like you said, you're, you're skipping levels. You're, you're kind of getting the cheat code yes. and it's basically like saying, Hey, if you're going to go into the NFL and you're inexperienced and you don't know any plays, it's like if the head coach from the previous 10 years has won last 10 Super Bowls has a playbook that he had puts in your lap, 
well, you're probably going to follow it. You're probably going to be able to implement some of those systems. And that's exactly it. It's kind of, uh, I've heard that concept of standing on the shoulders of giants, right? You're exactly. building up the previous ones that have already paid people that have paved the way for you and kind of leveraging that knowledge and experience because they've made mistakes along the way. Now you, if you, as a, as an entrepreneur, your goal or responsibility is to learn from them and, and, and uh, kind of grow off of what they've kind of laid or paved before you. So exactly. what's a daily last thing here? Actually, it's not the last thing. What's the daily habit that helps you be successful in real estate? Um, well, focusing on that big thing that's going to help you shift your business, uh, not doing things reactive. And if you're working at 9 a.m., um, you should start work at 7.30. If you're working at 7.30, you know, Make sure you're optimizing that early time because uh, those early hours, even if you think that you're not a morning person, there's plenty of science around this. By the way, Miracle Mornings for Entrepreneurs is also co-written by Cameron Harold. I really, really suggest that. Um, and just spending 7.30 to 9, focusing on the big one thing, right? So how did I build a $90 million portfolio and also write a book? I mean, that six months was dedicated to writing a book, but it didn't mean that I didn't have to do the rest of the things in my business. It's just that from seven to nine or 10 or 11, that's all I did. And then in six months, the book was written. Make sense? Yeah. It's all about that time batching and really kind of just having focused time. Exactly. So last thing here is what do you like to do for fun? I like to work out and, um, I'm in my mid thirties now. And so I'm about to have like a competition with all my friends and everyone that is like, going and being in this competition, they all have some sort of athletic background, but we all have like physical weaknesses. And so don't let, you know, I had a wrist surgery that didn't go well recently due to lifting. And so I probably permanently can't do like another push up in the formal sense. But um, that's just another, like I'm not a professional athlete, so it doesn't cost me any money. The reason I work out is because it's hard. So if I have a bad hand, it's just harder. So it's like free money, basically. It's like, <laughs> it's fine. I don't lose anything. So um, that's it. Yeah. Awesome. So last thing here is kind of how can our listeners get in touch with you or kind of learn more about this summit? We'll kind of put the link to whatever you want in the show notes here. Sure. So I'll just give you one link, which is www.5millionin30days.com. And you get the free ticket. You can get the VIP also, which is 97 bucks. And the details of that will be explained on the site. Fantastic. So Hunter, it was a pleasure having you on today. You provide a ton of insight and lots of value for my listeners and I'm hoping that uh, lots of them will be able to join and, and learn more about uh, your summit that's coming up and, and get some value out of that as well. So appreciate you coming on the show and uh, thanks again and uh, talk to you again soon. Cool. Thanks a lot. Okay. Take care. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you enjoy the podcast or if it provides value in any way, make sure to leave a five-star review. This helps the show attract top quality guests who will be able to provide even more insight into how you can build wealth through real estate. Talk to you next time.